if you throw money in the basket in front of you, it goes to Christmas sharing. You know, if you can come and work Christmas sharing this week, it's, it's the best. Um, it's so much fun. Also, if you can go downstairs and take a look at the work that's been done, uh, it's, it's so much fun. It's really a thing to be proud of in this congregation. So we'll have 170 families. And, uh, you know, there was, in the Old Testament, there was a place where Moses, when they were building the temple, said, um, you know, you have too much stuff, you can stop, or there's too much money, you can stop bringing money now. He's actually the only pastor who's ever said that. <laughs> but, um, but he did, in fact, there's one biblical, you know, like there's one incarnation, there's one, one time that happened in the history of the church. However, Carol did uh, come to me and say, you know, we just have an overabundance of, of uh, stuff. Which is just, that's a great thing to hear as a congregation that you've given so much that they have, you know, sufficient. It's really good. So thank you for that. Go downstairs. Just, you know, keep, you'll take more. Yes, you will. You'll always take more because there's always more to give. But uh, it's very nice that there's that much stuff. All right, let's pray. And then, so if you put money in the basket, if you got a little bit of loose change, a dollar bill or two, drop it in the basket. Here we go. Advent 2, um, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Luke 21, 28, I've said this to you before, um, the proper reception of the Savior is head up and arms open. Um, you have nothing to fear. So classically in prayer, uh, uh, there's a couple of ways you can, to discipline your hands, they often come together. Uh, to open your hands is to show that you bring nothing and are willing to receive everything. That's actually quite different than I'm on fire and I'm doing a lot of stuff. It actually is, because this is about me. I'm doing this. This is about the Lord. Uh, as Augustine said, we come with open hands. We bring nothing. We're given everything. So a kind of classic position for prayers are this. You discipline, uh, you discipline your hands. They, they go in a particular place so they don't bother you during your prayers. Um, and they sort of settle you. Uh, well, you know, Someday we'll talk about prayers and quiet and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you noticed, um, if you came for Wednesday at Tizay, it's always kind of shocking the first Tizay service when we have 30 seconds of silence. Because I can feel you getting itchy, you know. It's just you haven't had 30 seconds of silence since last year at this time, right? And now you sit and it's quiet and you can just, you can feel people. And here's what you, here's what you should know. We're actually on the clock because we can feel it too. And the next guy, if, you, if you're not disciplined about it, you'll get up and go early. It's 10 seconds and 30 seconds for the breaks and we're on the clock. I mean, we're on the second hand going because we don't want to short-circuit your time, and it takes the discipline to actually give the full blastness of that. So anyway, um, when you're, you're re- your redemption is drawing now, lift up your head. Uh, that's nothing to be scared of. In fact, it's going to be a great day. The day of your death and the day of the second coming are great days, as there's great a days as, the, as Christmas. You know, it's the same, it's all the same thing, three different ways. So, raise your heads. Your redemption is drawing near, Luke 21, 28. Lord God, Heavenly Father who through your Son has revealed to us that heaven and earth shall pass away. We beg you, keep us steadfast in your word and in true faith. Graciously guard us from all sin and preserve us from all temptations so that our hearts may not be overcharged with the cares of this life, but at all times, in watchfulness and in prayer, we await the return of your Son and joyfully cherish the expectation of our eternal salvation through the same, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We get that collect, that prayer comes, don't let our hearts be overcharged. It's going to be busy this month. Don't let us be overcharged with the cares of the world. Otherwise, we lose track of what we're doing. 
Oh, there's, this is a lot of cleanup today and a few new things. I've, for weeks now, you know, since October, I've been promising to talk about kneeling, and I've given you the handout, you know, 95 times. I just gave you the last two pages, and then I gave you something new. So there's three or four different things we want to try to do today. But the first thing I want to do is remind you that we're trying to build a particular culture. We're trying to build a particular kind of church. We want to be a particular kind of church. We want to be disciplined, we want to be faithful, we want to be loving, we want to be kind, we want to be generous, we want to think about other people, we want to be conformed to the image of Christ. Christ was always about the other person. The year ended with that. When did we do it to you, Lord? You did it to me when you saw me in prison, when you gave me clothes, when you gave me food, when you gave me water. That's the image of Christ. And all through the epistles it talks about being transformed or being conformed, which is like the Greek word for when you stamp a coin. You, you, put, you, know, you put the die on, you hammer it, and then it, it bears the image. You're supposed to bear the image of Christ. That's what's supposed to happen to you. That's the congregation we want. It's easy to be complacent. It's easy to complain. Anybody can do it. But Jesus didn't. You know, He suffered all these things and he opened not his mouth. So for us, we're trying to build a particular kind of church where we're kind, where we're obedient, where we're disciplined, where we respect authority, where we're generous, where we look to the needs of other people, where we put others first and ourselves second. That's the kind of church. So this whole thing, everything that happens today is meant to build that kind of a culture. Kneeling is one of those things. I've said to you, um, and so if you have your old sheet, it's the last couple sheets, or it's the... um, First, uh, the first bit. Now, before I do that, under discipline, I put the sticky note here that says, Bruzek, please ask for coffee people. We've got a couple of families who have covered all the coffee. Um, they've been doing a great job, they, but they, they need a little time to drink coffee, not just make coffee. It's a fairly fun, and it's, it's not, you've got to be diligent, but it's not difficult. But if anybody wants to run the coffee makers in the morning two or three times, I don't think you do it the whole morning. You do some, you have some early and some late. How does it work? So if anybody wants to play. So if you can help, I mean, this is one of the things about we need, we need people in that spot, and it just makes the morning, you know, you serve and everybody else can play, and then, you know, take a week off and you play. So, okay, that's good. Um, I can't remember what my slides look like. But uh, we'll just start here. Oh, no, no, leave it. That's actually, I do, I do know. I don't need it for this part. So one of the things that you've surprised me by is how easily you've taken to the kneeling. Um, I, d- I really expected some pushback, and I didn't get it, not from anybody. And I really expected you wouldn't adapt as well. In fact, the mistakes have more been ours. For example, at the altar, you know, having done this for 20 years, I mean, I just, I know where I'm going, and... What happens is I kind of roll into the, I roll through the prayers, and, um, you know, I haven't left you time to, I haven't paused all the time to give you a chance to kneel before the Eucharist. So I have to kind of reprogram myself. You all have been very good. Um, Let me just be really, I want to just be really clear about this. You know, people who kneel aren't better than people who don't kneel. It's, It's not about that. It's more about you're busy, you're scattered, you're overcharged, um, you have too many things going on in your life. It's very hard to escape that. You know, I've been through it in Wheaton with young kids. I've been through it with older kids. I know what a challenge it is. I know how hard you work. I know often that both people in a, in a marriage are working. I, I know all that. It's very hard for you to find any calm. 
one of the things that kneeling does, as with making the sign of cross, folding your hands, bowing, any of those things, what they do is they inform your body that something has changed. You're one element, you know, your body, soul, and spirit, or your body and mind. You're one piece. And when any piece of you uh, is engaged, whether you realize it or not, the other pieces are. That's why, you know, when you have stress at work, your back hurts. You know, nobody punched you in the back, but, you know, you got stress at work, your back hurts. And you go, I once, when I, I, so I'll give my, to the men, because women are much better. You know, I do go for my annual physical. If you're over the age of 12, you should go for your annual physical, okay? <laughs> I'm just tell you, you know, men are doofuses about this. So, but essentially, one of the, I have a great doctor, and he always gives me an hour, and we spend about 50 minutes talking and about 10 minutes doing, because he's a Christian guy and there's a lot to talk about. But he said, 70 to 80% of the things that come through my door are stress. Isn't that fascinating? 70 to 80% of the stuff that comes through his door are stress. Now, part of that's because we live in a, a wealthy community that, you know, we got pretty good care. Uh, in my first parish where there was horrible health care, um, I had twice as many shut-ins and six visits with 200 people coming on a Sunday as I do here because you're just a lot better. But the point of all this is, is you're all connected. And physical actions, making the sign of the cross, as Luther says, when you wake up in the morning and reminding yourself that you belong to Jesus. So if you feel great, you probably need to be leveled. And if you feel horrible, you probably need to be brought up. And you need to be brought right to the level of Jesus came in flesh and blood and died for me. And that's how you're supposed to start every day. That's small catechism under baptism. Every day you make the sign of the cross and you kill the old Adam. It's morning prayer plus baptism. You've got to put the two things together. In the same way, kneeling has a way of changing you. It tells you something's different. It interrupts what you're doing. It forces a change. And it also forces some quiet. Okay? So just have a look. at This is number seven here. Um, basically, I'm trying to give you some Bible verses so you'll, you'll kind of see you know, that this doesn't all come uh, you know, random. For example, for many years, I always wondered about relics. I, I understood the veneration of people who lived good Christian lives. And the longer I'm a Christian, the more I respect them. However, relics, I, was, I, didn't, have really the, I didn't really have the jump. Um, from why you'd move from being respectful of something to venerating, which is to honor, really pay attention, until I gave a close reading to Acts where they talk about when the apostles would walk by and there's a point where um, just the shadow falls on a sick person and he's healed. The presence of an apostle heals him. Or the woman who touches Jesus just touches the fringe. Power goes out from him. That's the reason the church venerates relics. There are you know, verses for this. Well, there's, there's tons of verses and tons of practice for kneeling, too. It's all over the place. But let me start with the humility and the joy that's behind it. So I'm at point seven. Um, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation of the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, see, if you want to be a community like that, if you, I mean, Paul is saying, that, and this is great, this is Philippians, because Philippians is a church that works, unlike some of the other epistles Corinthians, for example, he's actually writing to a congregation that works. The church in Philippi was a great congregation, so he deals with them very differently. He says to them, 
you got all the fundamentals in place. I'm going to remind you of what you're doing. I'm going to bump you up to the next level. That's what happens in Philippians as opposed to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians where he says, I left you the best stuff in the universe and you've treated it like trash. It's very different. So Philippians, so if there's any encouragement, any, any comfort, you know, any participation in the Spirit, um, if there's any sympathy, complete my joy. Look at this. By being of the same mind, community, the same love, right, and in full accord and of one mind. A congregation is meant to have one mind, one voice, one way. It doesn't mean that everybody agrees or that it's Stepford wifeish. That's not what it means. What it means is that you'll have all kinds of opinions and all kinds of, but for the stuff that matters, follow along in the way of Jesus. Don't do anything from rival, rivalry or conceit. So it's not about trying to get your way. But, and then here it is, joy and humility always go together. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's how you have a community. Yes, my friend. Was it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the double thing. It's the, it's the double-edged sword of having um, you know, good friends who move on. And that happens a lot in the church. Have this mind, and now you have to look up to the first paragraph, the same mind among yourselves. Here's what you need to tend which is yours in Christ Jesus, has been given you as a gift, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's God. But he isn't constantly telling the Father and the Holy Spirit what a big deal he is. You know? But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. When you compare God and men, you know, it's quite a step down. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by become, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So he goes from being at the top of the pyramid to the lowest possible thing, cast out, flesh and blood, innocent but executed, utterly oppressed, and outside the walls of Jerusalem where there's no hope. He went from being hope in substance to being hopeless. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed him on I'm sorry, I should go more slowly. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And now you have to recall back to the stuff you've learned in the past. The first commandment is about God. Don't have any other gods, but you never get to see God face to face. How do you get in touch with God? The second commandment, he gives you his name. He gives you his name at baptism, he gives you his name at the benediction. He gives you his name at absolution. He gives you his name anytime he says, in the name of. Remember, we did this a couple of weeks ago with Aaron. He says, take my name and actually put it on the people. Tangibly, take the name out of your mouth and put it on to somebody. So when you say, the Lord bless you and keep you, you're actually tangibly changing a person. You're actually putting something on him, and that's a blessing. So at his name, when you have the name, you have God. If you've, that's why you never swear. I mean, you know, there's a great difference between vulgarity and swearing. Vulgarity is one thing, but to say, you know, God damn is a completely off-limits other kind of things. You can say a ton of other things. That's what you don't say. Or even, oh, my God is much worse than, you know, some of the other things your kids say. You should get upset about OMG and their text message and not get so upset about, you know, the other stuff they say, just to be honest with you. 
Because the name of God is its own thing. It is God. If you have the name, you have God. That's behind this. So God is highly exalted, and he bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And now here's the payoff. So at the name, the presence, the location, the Godhead, the manger, the Eucharist, the absolution, the ironic benediction, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. It's like if the queen walks into the room, you know, everybody curtsies or bows. That's what you do. It's the reality. Everybody does it. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Look at this. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Sometimes in the text we have such clear things like, if you're sick, call the pastors and have them come and anoint you. We just blow that off like it's not there. Or, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Just a very simple instruction. If Jesus' name is named, you know, every knee should bow. Because Christ is now present. Okay, You name him and he's present. And he's at work. And he loves you. Okay, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. So there's the biblical point. And it, it's there. I mean, you just, you know, we may have ignored it or we may not have done it. But to argue about whether kneeling is Lutheran or not Lutheran or should be done or shouldn't be done, you've got to come to grips at some level with this passage. Because this says, when Jesus is present, you bow. I know what a friend we have in Jesus. I know. The other side of that coin is he was the second person of the Trinity and is consubstantial. The same stuff as God. And when he walks in the room, you've just met your creator. I know he's your friend, and he treats you as your friend. You should treat him as your friend, but you should also treat him as God Almighty, as King of the universe, as your creator, as your source of life. And the, oh, the Christian, see, the Christian thing is always to hold those two things in balance. The way that you hold them in balance is through humility. So you say to him... You're the essence of God. You're God Almighty. You're King of the universe, and you're my creator. And he says to you, and I'm your friend. And that defines your relationship. Does that make sense? Right? So it's a little like, um, you know, the Germans have this uh, German academics. It's one thing to pass your, um, it's one thing to have your, uh, to get a doctoral degree, but there is this famous ceremony that's usually done over a beer, but it can be done other places, where your doctor father invites you to call him by his first name. That's the point where you've arrived. It's not about getting a degree. It's that your doctor father, the man who holds everything in, in his hand, there's nobody more powerful than your doctoral advisor. You, your whole career, five or ten years of work and hundreds of thousands of dollars, stand on one guy sneezing or not. Okay, And there's this point where he's, not only you get your degree, but that he invites you to call him by his first name, and your relationship changes. It's a little like, um, you know, it's a little like uh, Vickers here. They call me pastor while they're here. The moment they're ordained, I send them a note and ask them to call me by my first name. Because they inevitably write me pastor, and I always write back and say, um, you know, you're a colleague and you should call me by my first name. It's a, it's a little like that. So you, when you're invited to something, so you always have this double thing. 
that's behind all the kneeling. Now, we can't spend the entire service on our knees. We just can't because there's just too much going on. We can't spend our whole time on our knees, but there needs to be enough of it that we remember who we are, especially because we're sinful, especially because we're prideful, especially because we'd rather not be on our knees for anybody, and especially because we're so busy. So now I'm going to go all the way back to the first thing I said. People who kneel are not better than people who don't kneel. That's not the argument. The question is, how can you be the best Christian that you can be? How can I be the best Christian I can be? What would help me be a really good Christian? What would help me not to be overcharged? What would help me to be more respectful? What would help me to remember my place in the universe? What would help us as a congregation? Well, one of the things that would help us is humility, and another is joy. In, you kneel in humility, you rise up in joy. You kneel knowing what you should get. You rise up in joy knowing what you've gotten. So you kneel for forgiveness, and you rise up forgiven. You kneel for the Eucharist, and you rise up with the body and blood in you. You genuflect at the name of the Lord, and you, 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 you rise up and say, He speaks to me. He loves me. You even do it when you come into his house. Um, this weird thing. All my, this is the, it's, I don't know if it's a weird Wheaton thing or a weird kid thing. The strangest thing that happens has happened. One of the strangest things, I am always marvel about it. Um, I can always tell how many people are in my house by the number of shoes at the door. <laughs> this is the strangest Wheaton custom. The teenage kids take off their shoes in your house. Do they do this at your house? Why do people do that? We never did that. It's kind of cool. I mean, somebody said to them, you know, don't track into the Bruzex house. That's why they do it. But it's this, you know, even though you can walk in and they're, you know, they're sprawled out on your couch and they're eating your stuff and they're watching your television, at least they've taken off your shoes and they've reminded you that you're in charge. I mean, they know in some sense they're a guest. It is, it is the craziest thing. And you should just embrace that as them saying, that's, that's their form of kneeling. That's their form of saying, I'm, in, I'm on somebody else's turf and I'm not in charge. So the other night, about a month ago, um, uh, um, you know, the stuff you see, uh, from the altar you can see everything, um, you know, a guy comes in and he walks down the side aisle and um, he comes to the pew And he genuflects before he goes in. I'm like, I got to meet that guy. (laughs) Uh, But he disappeared, and I've never seen him again. But it was clear, I mean, whoever the guy was, I mean, and there's a range of reasons why that can be. People genuflect before an icon. People genuflect before the altar. I bet who had great, great grandparents who used to come in, walk up the aisle and bow, and then go into their seat. Did you have that? Or your dad, yeah. Yes, right, right. Yeah, right. And, and this was an old Lutheran thing too. You, they would, and if they didn't bow, they at least stood in the aisle and said a prayer, or they slid into their place and prayed before they sat down. Yeah, well, you're very lucky to have been taught that way. No, I'm, I'm being serious. You've been, right, right, because you're in a you're in a special place. Um, you know, here's the thing. We can whine about what's... And part of it is because you do have... And Dan's father is also has a European background. 
and it's stronger, the traditions die harder there. You know, we ditch our traditions a little easier. And frankly, the last 50 years in America hasn't been good to tradition. And, and now we're paying for it in things like that nobody learned any memory work the last 50 years. You know, that was a, that was a mistake, whoever thought that up. Whoever thought the kids shouldn't learn memory work, that was a, that was a big mistake. Um, but this does still live, and it's, not, it's probably helpful for you to do it. So anyway, the point of it is, it's there in Scripture. It's completely valuable because it's all about um, humility and obedience and discipline and love. It's a way that reminds us who we are and who Christ is. And if we get that in a couple of times during a service, that'd probably be good for us. It goes into the service at particular places. Um, now, just an aside. Oh, so, so let me just say this. It goes into the service at particular places. And um, my advice to you is do it at those places, and don't do it a lot of other places. About 10 years ago, I went to the seminary in Fort Wayne. I went to chapel for a... And there was a run of piety going through the place where everybody was seeing who could cross themselves and genuflect more. It was like being in a charismatic tent meeting. I mean, there are guys doing things all over the place. And I'm looking around going, why in the heck are you... And I know that you can find a canonical bit of law or a Vatican decree or an old Lutheran hymnal, and if you add all those up, you're in constant motion. I mean, I know that. But I don't know if you saw it. You know, last Sunday, um, the Catholic Church got a new missile. They got a new order, right, with new rubrics. So they're all mixed up. Uh, but and I don't mean it in a. I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean they're all mixed up. They don't quite. They're quite unsure of themselves. What do I say? What do I do? What's been really interesting now is um, bishops have been issuing decrees in their diocese saying, "Hey, as long as we're starting over, we're going to straighten some things out now." So one of them, and I didn't know this, although a couple of people in new members class told me this is very common. Um, I hadn't experienced this, but in Catholic churches, have you been in Catholic churches where everybody holds hands during the Lord's Prayer? This apparently came from, you know, kind of extra or, well, it came from outside the sanctuary Catholicism. And one bishop wrote very clearly this, and they showed a picture of all these people holding hands during the Lord's Prayer, which in itself is pretty innocuous. But this bishop said, um, hey, we're not going to do that anymore in my diocese, which has got to be a shocker for people who've been doing it, because he said, it's not in the rubrics, and the liturgy doesn't belong to you. You don't get to change it. It belongs to the community, and it comes from Scripture. So nobody can just change the liturgy. No pastor and no people. It doesn't belong to yours. It's not yours to change. Somebody has given you a gift, and you live within the gift. And then the people who are put in charge of that, pastors, priests, bishops, cardinals, pope, they'll let you know after they listen to everybody whether or not this is a good idea. It's fascinating. So now just a little aside. I know there's a lot coming at you, but this is just how we think. A little aside, if you don't have any stuff going on, you probably need some stuff. Like you can have a baptism. In a baptism, what you use in a baptism is water in the name. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. That's a baptism. That's the biggest of the big things. But to, but to, but to rejoice in that, to explain that, you know, to, Im- to make an impact on people, to, re- to, to, to celebrate it, things come in. There's prayers. There's exorcism. There's the sign of the cross. There's oil sealed in the Holy Spirit. It's in the Scripture. The Sphargus of the Holy, script- of the Holy Spirit. 
receive this candle as a burning light, reminding you that, what's the biblical verse? You're like a light on a hill, says Jesus, right? All this stuff has biblical things, and it sort of coalesces together in this great rejoicing. But when it gets too big, as it did in Luther's time, and it gets in the way, then you trim it back. So it's very interesting. What you're watching happen in real time in the Catholic Church is the trim back. It's very interesting to watch, and it's very interesting to see how people react to that because Catholics are reacting like Lutherans did 50 years ago. And you hear a lot of stuff like, hey, nobody can push me around. Nobody can tell me what to do. He might be the Pope, but he doesn't live in Wheaton, so, you know, how's he going to find out? Well, I mean, try to square that up with this from Philippians. Have one mind. Have the same joy. Have all this, right? So it's this back and forth in a respectful way that makes everybody one. That's how the church always works. That's how the liturgy works. And when people just say, we just pitch out the liturgy and do whatever we want, you're pitching out 2,000 years of church history, and much, you're much in danger at that point. Okay? So you don't do it anytime you want, but that doesn't mean you can't do something new. Things sort of come in thoughtfully, and then they go out if they get to be too much, and then they come in thoughtfully, and they go out. The best thing ever written on this was the single page in the front of the blue hymnal, the last hymnal that we had. One page where it says something like, we take the best of what is old and rejoice in what is new. That's what we do, okay? So anyway, there are particular places. Now, now here's the thing. If you make the sign of the cross someplace and, does, and somebody else doesn't like, a great place to make the sign of the cross in the Lord's Prayer is protect us from the evil one, which is, there's a, the translation comes both ways in the Greek. It comes as deliver us from evil, but there's also a tradition of protect us from the evil one, like big E, big O, protect us from Satan. The great protection from Satan is to be baptized, and the great you know, protection of all the things that go bump in the night is to have a crucifix. That's why I would suggest to you, you probably should have a crucifix or an icon in your house. And when we bring a house blessing, the rubric actually says, make sure that people have a crucifix. Crucifix means a body hanging on it, not just two sticks tied together. Make sure it has a body hanging on it, or bring them one as a gift and have them hang it at the point of the house blessing. Why? Because that's a real symbol of a real thing. It's, it's like um, it's that stuff you spray on your roses so that the deer don't eat it. It's like that, right? That's what, it, that's what it is. It's like, you know, the demons can't get to you. So not everybody does it at that point. I'm actually trying to teach myself to do it, and I forget about half the time, and that's okay. So there's maybe, you know, six or eight places where it's prescribed, and... Do it if it helps. And if, if, you don't, if you choose not to do it, don't look oddly on people who do do it. Now, if they do it 95 times, they probably need medication. But, um, you know, but if they do it at the six or eight places prescribed, that's okay. Same for kneeling. You do it at the place prescribed, and you'll notice that if you don't do it, we've actually said you can just sit down. That's okay. You know, if you, if you don't want to kneel, or if you've got a bad knee, I mean, let's be practical. You know, if you can't kneel, if you got to, if you, if it's, you know, if you get a, then just, you're fine. Sit, relax, life's good. Because the point's being made, you're under the care of God. Make sense? You still okay? 
all of that is behind, you know, that kind of discussion, all of that is behind, like, do you put kneelers in your church or not? Or do you kneel? All of that is behind that. That's a ton of thinking about stuff. Still good? Okay, so now a couple of places. I'm not going to get as far as I thought I was going to get, but it's, it's going to be okay. So at the bottom under number seven, kneeling is both a gesture and an attitude. It's the mark of humility, dependence, helplessness, acceptance, obedience. When the queen is about to make you a knight, which is a great honor, you kneel for that, right? I told, I told you, when you come up to Cambridge, you know, you're presented, you know, and you kneel. You know, you're part of the gang, but you have a position as part of the gang. Not everybody's president. But also openness, desire, willingness to be blessed, and at some point, being re- used well and raised up with a clean conscience. So you kneel down in humility, and you raise up in joy. It's a little resurrection. Now the Lord can use you well. We're pretty, we're pretty broken, and we're pretty bad off, and we need constant reminders. So we're going to do this a couple of times during the service, just to make sure you remember. Okay, We're going to do it right off the bat. We don't come in and say, you're a bunch of damn sinners. What we do is we say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is to say you're baptized, and then we say, and you're a bunch of damn sinners. Okay? So we give you about 30 seconds of uh, positive reinforcement before we move on to the very first thing that needs to be said. Have you ever wondered about that? That's the reason we start that way. Why should we beat around the bush? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I'm baptized, amen. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and we're liars. So let's get that out of the way. Um, it was just, it just cut to the chase. Genuflecting. So first you have kneeling, which is what you all do. Um, genuflecting is what the pastor does uh, at the altar, which normally, it can be one near two knees, but usually you just, you're basically just touching a knee to the ground. It doesn't just belong to pastors. It can belong to people as they come into a pew. It's, uh, it's less than a full blast, but it's not disrespectful. See, bowing and kneeling and genuflecting are all the same things with different parts of your bodies. Just to bow is to say, is to invoke humility and to evoke a greater power and to recognize your spot. To bow, to genuflect, or to kneel are all the same thing. You just use them differently. Um, you genuflect because you have to get right back up. You know, that's the reason. You kneel because you're going to stay there a little bit longer. You bow because we're doing something else, like, and he became man. Or, in the Lutheran Church, we have this, so we did it twice this morning, I think. Um, we stand for the Trinitarian verse, right? Mulroys gives this big uh, introduction, like, hey, pay attention, something's about to happen, which is we're going to invoke the triune name, which means we're going to talk about God. We tend to stand. That's another way of showing respect. That's another way. Lutherans tend to stand. The church is for eons, you know, knelt. But either one is okay. Standing in respect also goes back all the way to the 4th century, the 3rd century. It's a common posture. And it's, it's okay. It's almost interchangeable with um, kneeling in terms of respect. Okay, so what you're trying to do, whether you kneel, whether you genuflect, um, and lay folks often did this entering the pew, or at the tabernacle. You'll be walking through a Catholic church with a Catholic, and suddenly they'll, all of a sudden, boom, they're on their knee, and you're like, what just happened? Well, what happened is they walk by the tabernacle and they confess that Jesus is there. 
the light's on. Somebody's home. You know this about a tabernacle, right? They turn the little light on to tell you that we didn't eat and drink, we didn't eat everything at the altar, and so we're saving it for next time. But he's really, really there. So when they go by a tabernacle, they kneel. They genuflect, saying, hey, I know you're there. It's actually um, a great little confession. So genuflecting means bending the knee. Um, you do it when you come into the church. Hey, it's like taking you, it's like the kids who take their shoes off at my house. Hey, I love you. Or at the tabernacle, hey, you're in there. Or we do it at the verba. And all the stuff we're doing, and you know, I haven't had a lot of, and maybe you're just worn out, or maybe you agree, I don't know. But I must say to you that I was quite nervous myself, although the young boys can be persistent. And, of course, Gainig, you know, does it, and then he runs. He's like the kid who leaves you holding the, the dozen eggs when he just lobbed the first one at the window, you know. <laughs> so, uh, happy Halloween. Uh, you know, three things are happening. Uh, three things are happening to say to you, Jesus just came to the altar. Actually, more than three. First, we sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he, which is exactly what they sang on Palm Sunday when Jesus came up the hill to the temple. So, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's saying, he's on the way, he's on the way, he's almost here, he's coming to his temple. That's the reason you sing that. It's a little Palm Sunday. Then, how does he get in? With his own words. He promises that he will put himself into the bread and into the wine with his words. This, my body, this, my blood. Three things happen at that point. One is... um, The pastor elevates. It's right here in the chalice. It's right here in this bread. It's in there now because Christ has spoken. He's spoken through the pastor. Christ has spoken. He's in there. And then you'll notice the bell rings. Um, I know the bell has had an up and down history in the church, but the point of the bell really was, it's like a school bell. Pay attention. He's here now. So if you might have been asleep or tending your kid or not paying attention... Ding, ding. Oh, this is cool. You can't make this stuff up. The stuff you remember. They used to build churches. I know it's hard for you to see this. You know, they often build churches on the sign of the cross like this. Then the altar was way back here, up high, right? And the priest would be right here, and he would elevate, and people would see it, and they'd say, that's my salvation. When you had a heretic, they often hung him in a cage right here in the church, we're working on this. We couldn't afford it with the first go-round. <laughs> and what happens is you could hear the bell and you could see everybody else. You could see everybody else look forward for their salvation and you couldn't see it. Your sight line was blocked. I learned that sight line. I learned that from architects. What's the thing I learned from the music guy? This, what did he say? What, what did he teach me this week? Constant what? The, the, the music guy. He taught me a, a fancy word I'm supposed to say when I'm supposed to be smart. What did he say? Okay, you guys work on that, okay? Get back to me. Anyway, the point is, no, we talked to the music guy, and they always give you this phrase you throw out so you find out like you're smart. Architects always, if you say sight line to an architect, I've learned they pay attention. It's like a secret code. Well, anyway, this guy's got no sight line to salvation, and there he rots in there, which is why you need incense, because he smells. And he can't, he sees everybody else. This is true. You, 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 you see, I mean, this is effective law. Not effective gospel, but if you're going for law, you got a guy in a cage starving to death and dying. 
Okay? You can get some you can get some you can get some work done if you got a guy hanging in a cage. You Oh my goodness. All right. Um I'm gonna get through the kneeling thing because I, I don't want to look at it again. Um go to the top, okay. Uh you can read this later, but the gist of it is they knelt from forever. I've given you um, from the Catholic Encyclopedia, just because it was easy to copy it, all the places. The most interesting one is in the middle where it says, of St. James, the brother of the Lord. Tradition relates that from his continuing kneeling, his knees had become as callous as those of a camel. You know, you ever seen a camel's knees? You know how they go down and they wrap under and always on the sand. I mean, and I'd known this from Eusebius before. Eusebius was the great church historian. The, the, you know, of, G, of Jesus' brother, um, it was said, he knelt so much, you know, his knees were so calloused um, that he looked like a camel. Well, you've got Stephen, Peter, Paul, James, and um, also the expressions to pray, to bow the knee, um, are all complementary terms. Um, kneeling and praying, it's like people can't imagine in the first century or two that you'd ever say a prayer without kneeling. Now, as I said, later you have standing, but even standing, you're very careful to say you might have your head down or your hands up. You're just very careful not to suggest that you're somehow working the Lord out of something. He's very glad to give you his gifts, but in the proper order and with the proper relationship. That is, a child who respectfully asks of his father, please love me and please help me. That's very different than trying to push God around. So basically what's happening in the kneeling, you're saying, Jesus is here and I'm respectful of you. And so that happens, um, I, I left you at the altar point. What happens is, the verba are spoken. Take, eat, this is my body. The chalice is raised, it's right here. The bell rings, pay attention, and the pastor genuflects. Um, but you're all kneeling already, so I'm just catching up with you. And we're all saying... That's the body of Jesus. For about the last 50 or 60, 70 years, there was a very good book written that had a very bad chapter in it that a lot of Lutherans got at the, at the Concordias where it suggested that there was no Lord's Supper till it hit your tongue, which means you're the determinant of whether or not there's a Lord's Supper. It was rampant in this congregation when I came. In fact, the first four weeks after I was here, somebody threatened to take me up on heresy charges to the district president because I taught that the body and blood was in at the verba point. Um, now, it helped that I had just, the last thing I'd done before coming here was teach the seminary course on the Lord's Supper. So that was a little bit of defense for me. And I'd just written a dissertation on the Lord's Supper. So, and, and then we ran the, that's why we occasionally we run the little Luther bits like, when the word comes to the element, the Lord is there. Not when the element comes to your tongue, when the word comes to, your, to, to the element. And so with the kneeling, with the bell ringing, you know, with the elevation, it's all saying, we didn't do it, Jesus did it, and Jesus is here, and he's here because he wants to be, and he wants to touch you, and he wants to save you. Let's go! This will make us one community. So that's what it's all about. Thanks for the slides, John. Uh, we'll save them for another day. Um, gosh, and I brought, you, I brought you show-and-tell items, and I'll have to bring you show-and-tell items again. So what we're going to do next is the, is the thing that you have, which is the four evangelists. As somebody said, that creepy place where you read the Bible, it's got the heads, but I just want to suggest to you that it's back there. In fact, if you want to take a look at that today, I won't move it now, but the new processional crucifix has Jesus on there. You can read ahead about the four, um, 
you know, the four beasts in Ezekiel and in Revelation surrounding the throne which were taken to be the four evangelists very early in the church, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the symbols come up. And then I brought the gospel book too, and we'll take a look at that. Although, I'm going to leave that there, and if you want to look at it, please uh, just put the gloves on, because uh, the oils from your hands will tarnish it, That's why we, and then the altar guild has to work harder, okay? Um, so take that home. That's what we're going to do next week. Next time, we'll do these slides, that, that, and the lectern, okay? And you've already got the paperwork for that. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much.